You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, another week of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. Today, I got a couple of story times, both of them involving, we'll go with comebacks from the uh, depths of the overlooked in college football. We'll get to those in a second, but first I want to have a more broad conversation because we're getting to that time of year, the uh, summer of optimism. And every year is the summer of optimism. Everybody's team's going to win maybe 10 or 11 games, compete for their division. And if they can get a couple lakes, breaks in the playoffs, who knows what can happen? That's every single team in the NFL. The Vikings are, are no different. You're probably talking yourself into these kinds of things right now. And what I want to talk about, though, is, well, two things. A, I think optimism in the summer is fine. It's part of the fun of enjoying a sport, right? And yeah, 31 of those teams are going to end up disappointed and, hey, the Vikings are probably going to be one of them. They're about plus 4,000 to win the Super Bowl in, in 2021. So, yeah, odds are definitely not in the Vikings' favor. But they're in nobody's favor. Even the the uh, Super Bowl favorites, which are the Chiefs and the Bucks, are both, I think, plus 575, plus 600. That's about the same odds as the Arizona Cardinals have of winning the NFC West over the Rams, 49ers, and Seahawks. That's the best it gets. So... I don't know. I'm not too worried about it. And I think the idea that the Vikings can put together a competitive season where they get to the playoffs and are a team in the playoffs that people think have a shot to get there and make it all the way. I don't think that's as out of the question. Um, It's certainly not out of the question enough to be cautious about how optimistic you get. Have a little fun. But let's talk about the merits of that, too, because I, I think, you know, I'm pretty high on the Vikings this offseason. I'm much higher on them now than I was in 2020. I'm even a little higher on them now than I was in 2019. Actually, a lot higher on them than I was in 2019. I wasn't high on them at all that year. Uh, and really, since they've they've signed Kirk Cousins, I haven't really been like super bullish on the Vikings like I am right now. But I guess let me lay out the reasons for that in a more broad sense and talk a little bit about the source of my optimism. Um, and it doesn't really come from like me thinking Kirk Cousins will be better. We know what Kirk Cousins is, and I think that you can win with that if you have the right pieces around him, right? We've seen teams do that and make nice, deep playoff pushes with quarterbacks that are sort of a product of their surroundings or whatever it's possible you obviously want somebody that's a little bit more creative Uh, justin fields would be awesome or you know if kellen mond is great in two years you want to go to that sure but all of that has to be a, a, a long way off before it becomes a part of the real vikings future right now it's just sort of an outcome that could happen and you play with the hand you have and i think Kirk cousins for the problems that he has under pressure and the problems that he has with consistency has a skill set that you can absolutely make an explosive offense out of and has with the Vikings a ton. I mean, we talk a lot about the crazy explosive ability of Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, and those things don't happen unless they're getting delivered accurate passes on the regular, and they totally are. That's what Kirk Cousins does best. We can do that. And I think on the whole, the passing offense is very exciting. When you think about the Vikings passing offense, I think about deep posts and deep overs and 
um, you know, 15 yard blaze outs and converting third and eights all the time. And yeah, I think about that dynamic running game. And I know that the running game is kind of this afterthought and the, the nerds have ruined it, but it really contributed. I mean, it converted second and 10 sometimes, which is wild. It is something that can turn, you know, a first and 10 into a second and five and a second and five turns into a deep shot that turns into a 25 yard gain. We know what it's like to stay ahead of the chains and how important it is to stay, you know, quote, ahead of schedule. And I think having a run game that can reliably generate five yards is something the Vikings can sort of rely on for that and then create all the play action and all of that. And it's very synergistic with Kirk Cousins. I think the offense is very synergistic. And if that offensive line can pull it together to at least be a decent unit the vikings could easily put together a top like seven offense and if you have a top seven offense you got a shot as long as your defense is decent and that defense i am very very high on now look in 2020 the vikings had a pretty good offense um i I don't think anybody can really look into it and say that their offense was like the problem in 2020 at all so for all the frustrations about kirk cousins and the offensive line and, and if they ran too much and all that stuff Uh, the offense was not the problem. It was the defense. Of course it was the defense. The defense dissolved. It completely fell apart. They were down to street free agents and nobodies and guys that probably shouldn't have even made the team like Jaleel Johnson and Blake Lynch, who didn't make the team. And I mean, let me take you to a moment after the Vikings beat the Jaguars. I think it was week 13. They were six and six after that game. Um, and they were actually in a playoff spot. They were in the seventh seed. So they had a shot and down the stretch, if they could have pulled it together, you know, and notch up a couple of wins, they could have been in the dance and at least had a shot go to the Superdome and try to go win a playoff game there again something we know the Vikings can do something we know Kirk Cousins has done and the defense fell apart but kind of no more because they've actually worked a lot on the depth in the front and the back of the defense the linebacker depth still kind of a concern if you lose Anthony Barr Eric Hendricks at any point this season you've got to pick between like cast offs like Nick Vigil and uh, Ryan Connolly or, you know, rookies like Troy Dye or like Chaz Surratt who don't really fit for the like what the Vikings would need from that. But outside of that, I mean, the corner depth is pretty insane. You've got Bashad Breeland and Patrick Peterson. If one goes down, you're looking at, you know, Cameron Dantzler. You're looking at guys like Perry Nickerson and Ty Smith who are experienced. You know, you're not taking, you know, if you're down to cornerback seven, that's still a guy that has experience instead of having to turn to street free agents or Harrison Hand or Chris Boyd or whoever wins that competition. On the defensive line, the depth, especially at tackle, the depth is also insane. If you lose one of Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson or Sheldon Richardson, you still have one of the better duos in the league, if you ask me. Those three are very good good, well-regarded players. And I think the biggest thing that I was panicking about was the pass rush. Sheldon Richardson does a decent amount to alleviate my fears. Now, he doesn't necessarily play edge in the way that I want him to, and I still think the Vikings are probably going to get too many snaps out of someone like Steven Weatherly, and I wish they could improve on that. They still have some cap. Maybe they still could. Um, But if they don't, I'll still be a little concerned about that, but I'm no longer breaking the glass in case of emergency and asking them to trade a second-round pick for a Yannick Ngakwe-type thing again, which is kind of what I hoped that they would do. Shella Richardson helps me kind of back off of that, maybe pump the brakes on that a little bit. But look, going over the things, if you go over the six major facets of of uh, an NFL roster, this is the way I like to kind of look at it real quick when I'm doing something for the national show, and I just need to get a quick sense for a team. You know, the passing game, the pass blocking, the running game. All right, I'm going to give the Vikings two out of three there. We'll see what the pass blocking is like. 
the pass defense, the pass rush, and the run defense. And I think I'm giving the Vikings three out of three there. Maybe we don't give them the pass rush quite yet. I'll give you that. But I think on those six, the weak spots don't seem that weak, and the strong spots are as strong as they've ever been. So I have a lot of reason to be bullish on the Vikings. And you know what? It's June. It's July. Let's have a little fun. We can go back to being realistic when they're actually ready to play. But we got some time to enjoy this. So I'm not pumping the brakes. This train keeps rolling. Speaking of rolling... And if you're with me, you want to be rolling in it when the Vikings prove us right, you can go to betonline.ag, do what I did, lay a little bit of money on it. Now, I laid my money on them back in March when they were plus 340 to win the NFC North. Now they're plus 240 because that was before the Aaron Rodgers stuff, and I think people have kind of gotten a little higher on the Vikings, and I think people will continue to get high on the Vikings as the offseason goes on, so get in there. You can also bet plus 120 for them to make the playoffs. That means for every dollar you bet, if you win, you get a dollar twenty back, so you bet a dollar in total would have $2.20, over doubling your money if you're right is what that means. If you want to get a grambling, you want to get a start on it, head on over to betonline.ag. It's free to set up an account when you actually make your first deposit. You can enter promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you get a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you put in, say, 500 bucks to gramble with and you enter promo code LOCKEDON, you'll actually have 750 bucks to gramble with. You get $250 free play money courtesy of betonline.ag for entering promo code LOCKEDON. You're online sportsbook experts. After the draft, the Vikings signed a wide receiver, little-known guy by the name of Myron Mitchell from the University of Alabama, Birmingham. And he grew up in Jasper, Alabama, went to Jasper High. And at Jasper, he was what you call a non-qualifier. So in the college recruiting process, if you don't have the good grade, good enough grades or good enough test scores to uh, qualify for academic programs, you are a non-qualifier. And that means you usually have to go the junior college route or do something else, but you can't go to a school on a scholarship if your grades don't pass a certain threshold. And Myron Mitchell didn't pass those thresholds. So he went to Butler Community College in El Dorado, Kansas, and he played there for the 2016 and 2017 years. He was a speedy wide receiver, a great high school tape, and some colleges were kind of into him, but he didn't have the academics, and so they had to kind of turn their scholarships elsewhere. But after the 2016-2017 years, he graduated from junior college, and his grades there were good enough to actually qualify. Now, as a non-qualifier that went the JUCO route, uh, he had three years, uh, or yeah, he had two years of eligibility left and a redshirt year. So he had kind of three years of, he could go be out of school for three years and play for two of them and kind of redshirt for the first one. Now at that time, Cliff Kingsbury was at Texas Tech. This is 2017 when he's uh, going through his second year at Butler for the Grizzlies. And uh, Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech hasn't been hired to Arizona yet. He's all over the Jugo ranks. He's looking for talent. And Butler has another couple other players that Texas Tech were interested in. One of them is, is a linebacker named Tony James. He's a friend of Myron Mitchell. And the recruiter from Texas Tech that's doing all this work, his name is Emmett Jones. He's a wide receivers coach. And he gets a look at Myron Mitchell. He says he's interested and he's talking to Tony Jones about it, who has his contact info, passes it along, and the two get connected. And look, as a wide receiver, as a kick returner, Myron Mitchell is just at like a highlight machine. Like he has done all kinds of awesome stuff here among the community college ranks. So Texas Tech wants him. And in 48 hours, I think, somewhere around there, they extend an offer and Myron Mitchell accepts. And he's excited. He's got to finish up at Butler. He knows he's got to do his redshirt year, but he can finally play in the 2019 season. But there's a couple problems here. A, Myron Mitchell's an Alabama kid. And B, in the recruiting process, when it comes to Juco and all that stuff, 
all you can really do is shake hands until a player actually enrolls. There's no official or binding agreement here. So Myron Mitchell keeps his recruitment open. He announces it. He even does interviews with Texas Tech Media. He says, I'm excited to come play with, you know, Emmett Jones and with Coach Cliff and all that. We're really excited to do this. But in reality, he's still talking. And UAB has him on the radar. And of course, he knows UAB. He grew up right next to there in Jasper. So in October of 2017, UAB is in a game versus Southern Miss. It's this grindy contest, like 13 to 12 going into the fourth quarter. But then UAB turns it on and ha- it turns a close contest into a blowout. They score 17 straight. Really exciting fourth quarter. And Myron Mitchell is watching and he watches this and he's pretty much hooked. And UAB is aware of him, too. They've sent Casey Woods, who is their inside receivers coach, to build a relationship with Myron Mitchell. So those two are are discussing and dialoguing. And even through the entire process of talking to Texas Tech and stuff, Casey Woods continues to, you know, stay in touch and and, and kind of build a, a genuine relationship with Myron Mitchell. And that is definitely not lost on him. He really appreciates that loyalty. And he decides, look, UAB is next to home. I really like this. Nothing is binding about Texas Tech. I want to go play and be by home. And, and, you know, I'm going to go join the University of Alabama, Birmingham. So he uh, rescinds his commitment to Texas Tech and he goes to UAB instead. He redshirts there for the 2018 season and he plays for the 2019 season. So 2019 season opener, it's August of 2019. They're playing Alabama State. And uh, they go up, UAB goes up 7-0, Alabama State drives down, scores 7-7, and then the ensuing kickoff, UAB fumbles. I do not believe that it was Myron Mitchell, but UAB fumbles it, Alabama State returns, 16-yard touchdown, suddenly they're up 14-7, and it's kind of a disaster sequence. It's like touchdown, kickoff, fumble, touchdown, like immediately, and it feels like the game is spiraling out of control. This is how your season begins. So they line up for the ensuing kickoff, and this does a couple of things. You may remember from the Kene Nwangu, uh thing that he really loved kickoff returning. And what he loved about kickoff returning is it can change the tide of a game. And that's exactly what Myron Mitchell does. He get, comes back to kick. He fields one from the two-yard line. He finds a crease. He hits it. He jukes the punter. And he dives to the pylon for like a picturesque poster touchdown. UAB would go on to win the game. And largely based off of that spark kind of turning the tide of momentum, even though that just tied it up 14-14. And, and that kind of got UAB to realize, like, how dynamic this kid was. And from there, he kind of doesn't look back. He stays the kick returner, and he does all kinds of dynamic things there. He keeps being kind of like a highlight machine. But it's always been at small schools. Yeah, he's, he's putting up highlights against Southern Alabama and, uh, you know, other community colleges in the Kansas area. That's not exactly that impressive to an NFL team. So he doesn't go drafted, but... All those highlights, they get him a chance with the Minnesota Vikings. So he gets brought in as part of three different undrafted wide receivers meant to kind of fill out that bottom of the roster. But this is a crackable roster. You got to outplay like Chad Beebe and KJ Osborne. Here's the thing. We haven't seen Myron Mitchell succeed against higher levels of competition, but we haven't seen him fail yet either. And that is what makes him so interesting to watch. Somebody who was in small schools, not because of a a lack of ability in high school, but mostly because of academics. Your grades don't matter in the NFL anymore. So we'll see if that translates into anything or if he's just, you know, another Juco kid that gets a shot in the NFL and ends up hanging the jersey up in his man cave someday. 
I got another story coming up. It's a big, big, big boy story. Uh, but first, let's talk a little bit about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Built Bar, covered in 100% chocolate, perfect for a late night treat or something after a workout if you feel like you want to indulge in something like a German chocolate brownie or a peanut butter brownie or chocolate raspberry or mint chocolate brownie, something like that. One of these like real rich desserts that sounds really good, but it's totally a cheat day thing. You can have it on not a cheat day if you just... Have a built bar. Tastes like a candy bar. It's high protein, high fiber, low calorie, low sugar, low carb. It's even keto friendly. If you're doing the keto thing, you can enjoy this and not fall off the wagon. So head on over to builtbar.com, enter promo code LOCKED15, that's L O C K E D 1 5, and you can get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15, all one word, at builtbar.com. It can be incredibly confusing to try to shop for car parts online, especially if you're a do-it-yourself or just trying to get the right thing for your car. If you're just trying to save a buck and not get upcharged by a mechanic or a brick-and-mortar auto shop, head on over to rockauto.com. Whatever your car needs, they'll be able to help you out. They're a family company, and they want to help parts get to customers without those customers getting upcharged a ton because of the industry secret that these brick-and-mortar joints will upsell all their retail customers as opposed to wholesale buyers. And at Rock Auto, everybody makes the same price. Just enter your make, your year, and your model at rockauto.com's website, and their unbelievably expansive and seemingly infinite catalog will get you to a part that is compatible with your car, and you'll be able to save a buck on it as well. It's just an aggregator. You're not buying cheaper parts. You're buying the same parts from the same manufacturers without contributing to the profit margins of a brick-and-mortar auto chain. So head on over to rockauto.com, and at checkout, make sure you let them know that Locked On sent you, because if you don't, the rabbits will have to come and tell you that you've been in a coma for two years. We're trying a new technology to try to get through to you, but we're unsure how this message will manifest in your dream. Please wake up. We all miss you very much. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. In the late 1980s, Michael Pierce Sr. was a running back for the Tulane Green Wave, and so... He grew up and he had a son, Michael Jr., who grew up following in his footsteps. He started out very young as a running back, playing like every other sport under the sun, basketball track, all that stuff. And But he wanted to be a running back. He wanted to be like his dad. But very soon, if you know uh, Michael Pierce, he uh, outgrew running back. And in high school, they moved him to fullback. They moved him to linebacker. They had, had him kind of play two ways. But pretty soon, he outgrew that as well. And it was time to move him to nose tackle. And they actually used him, even all the way through his college years, they used him as kind of a fullback, short yardage, uh, like Don Terry Poe kind of situation. Uh, he grew up idolizing Ray Lewis. He was really excited when he was a linebacker, but he was also very happy to kind of be, you know, this hard-hitting, be this big kind of run-stuffing, uh, nose-tackle type guy. And thanks to the family connection, it was a pretty easy in at Tulane when it was time to get out of high school. So he enrolled there in uh, 2011. But he says he kind of grew up sheltered. He was the son of a pastor. And he says he kind of needed some time to mature when he first started out at Tulane in college. He focused too much on football. I think the sort of unrestricted responsibilities and freedoms of that kind of first year in college, that adulthood. Um, it, it took him some time to adjust, I guess, is the way that he would describe it to you. And his academics fell apart. He never had academic issues in high school at all. So this is like very new thing. And he felt a ton of pressure at Tulane. He had his father's legacy to live up to. His brother was in college and thriving. So he had felt like he had a lot of pressure to kind of be successful at all points and he kind of says that pressure kind of got to him and he he was so focused on being successful at football that his grades fell out from under him and he lost academic eligibility 
And he talks about it as this like embarrassing, like lowest moment in his life. And his defensive line coach, John Henrik, tells him, look, kid, you could be special. You just got to get your act together. And it's this like pep talk that he says, you know, to this day kind of still sticks with him and keeps him going through the hard times. And he does get his grades up uh, at Tulane. Um, I think he misses like some spring stuff or something, but he uh, does get his grades back up. But still, something wasn't right. There was still that pressure. And the whole situation was kind of poisoned by the whole ordeal. And he understands exactly what he needs to do. He needs to make his own way here. And for a kid that kind of grew up, I mean, he shares his father's name, his father's school, his father's career path, at least up until the college ranks. At Tulane, Michael Pierce makes a choice. He says he's going to make his own way, and he goes to uh, transfer. So, look, he decides he's going to transfer, but uh, the board's not exactly lighting up for a big old nose tackle with no flashy stats because he's a nose tackle and academic issues. So he ends up having to go to Samford, a D1 AA program, totally under the radar, as if nose tackles aren't under the radar enough. And he kind of resolves, he says, okay, I'm going to really approach this differently this time, kind of taking full advantage of this fresh start. He says, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to focus on graduating because he wants to make sure that after football, there is a life. And look, when you're enrolling at Samford after Tulane and your nose tackle and you, you, know, you see where the recruiting thing is, I don't think he's thinking very much in this particular moment about the possibility of going pro. But he plays well at Samford and he really kind of lights it up there uh, amongst the D1 AA competition, you know, it comes pretty easy and he lights up that that smaller competition. Now he's a small school kid, but he graduates a semester early, so he kind of gets that goal checked off. He gets he he turns that around after he sort of realigned, recalibrated his focus and he declares for the NFL draft. He goes undrafted, small school kid, nose tackle, nothing flashy about him, um, and some weird transfer stuff. Not exactly a, a package that's leaping off of the 2016 draft board, but he does get a, an undrafted free agent contract, and he goes to Baltimore. They, they pick him up. Now, Baltimore is a situation that's kind of tough for him to land, and they've got a couple entrenched starters. They got a couple draft picks on the defense, on the interior defensive line. So to actually crack the roster, he's going to have to not only play well enough to get rostered, but he's going to have to beat out a draft pick by enough to kind of convince the coaches to go back on their pre-draft evaluations of, you know, that rookie versus you. And he does. He plays really, really well in the preseason. Um, kind of culminating and peaking in one of the preseason, he plays in all four preseason games, one of them's at the Superdome, not too far away from the original Tulane campus where he made the biggest career decision of his life. He makes the biggest play of his life. It is a strip sack of Luke McCown that goes back for a touchdown, and it's that play that really gets him on the radar in Baltimore. And it really shows John Harbaugh that they've got a player here, that they may have found like a diamond in the rough. And to the luck of Michael Pierce, of course, unfortunate luck for uh, this guy, but one of the other defensive tackles gets injured, so a spot on the roster opens up, and he ends up starting in 2016, earning that job. So he really, really outplayed those draft picks. And things go very well. He has an unbelievable season in 2017, but during that season he has a little bit of a scare. So Michael Pierce, you probably know because of his opt-out and stuff, he has asthma. And in 2017, he missed one game 
because he got pneumonia. And when you have asthma and you have pneumonia, that can be a really, really tough health scare. So he has to miss one game for it, and he rushes his recovery back, and he says his respiratory system never quite quite gets back on track. Ravens would miss the playoffs uh, that year by, I believe, the skin of a Tyler Boyd touchdown, and that would be it for Michael Pierce's season, and he kind of regrets that he didn't really take the time to kind of recover. It felt like his whole season was kind of knocked completely off balance by this one uh, instance of pneumonia. So let's fast forward to 2019. 2019 minicamp, Pierce shows up way over, like 30 pounds overweight, and John Harbaugh sends him home, says it's not safe for you to participate in minicamp, you have to go lose weight, come back in training camp, you, you better have your weight around you, because again, he's on an undrafted rookie deal. He's played well, but not a lot of leverage, and it's the last year of his deal, so he has a lot to prove. Now, the reasons for this, I'm sure you can make a lot of uh, guesses, but he basically says he lost track of it. He didn't pay attention to it. He was focusing on other things. So once again, Michael Pierce has to kind of realign his focus. He alters his diet. He alters his weight regimen. He does more cardio and stuff, and he gets his weight down. He manages to get to a safe playing weight by training camp, but he still plays that season kind of overweight, and ankle issues plague him for the entire 2019 season. So this whole debacle goes down in a contract year, and the Ravens decide not to re-sign him. This is the 2020 offseason, and 2020 free agency happens under some weird circumstances. That was March of 2020. We were like 10 days after the NBA shut down and into everybody being locked down and working from home and everything, and we didn't know, really, how, like, if there would be a season in 2020, or if this would all clear up by May and we wouldn't even be talking about it, we didn't know what was going to happen, so Michael Pierce signs with the Minnesota Vikings, and the Vikings thinking, great, we're going to have this nose tackle, and we aren't really worried about the weight thing, say, hey, don't let that happen again, and we'll all be hunky-dory, but obviously, as you know, things don't work out that way, and I have to imagine Michael Pierce is thinking about that 2017 bout with pneumonia, he's thinking about his brother, who also has asthma, He's thinking about the possible long-term complications, and he wants to be able to play this game until his body can't play in anymore, and he's not ready for that day to hit when he's like 27 years old, so he opts out, and he decides to miss the 2020 season. This is a devastating decision for Michael Pierce. He was looking so forward to working with guys like Harrison Smith and Kirk Cousins, who he grew up watching. Those are the two names he invokes. He's excited about Barr and, and Kendricks and Daniel Hunter getting to know Andre Patterson and Coach Zimmer. And Andre Patterson kind of tells him, look, yeah, we support you. We're opting out, but you have to be responsible for your own training. We have to focus here on you know players who are in the building. We'll see you next year. We're looking forward to it and, you know, call me or whatever, but he kind of says, you got to be on your own this offseason. We have a season to run. And so Michael Pierce tries to make the most of his opt-out year. He focuses more on cardio. He sheds a bunch of weight. He, I think he's playing about leaner than maybe he's ever played this year. He learns piano. He picks up reading. He gets his mind right. He, he gets fully recovered, and he's excited to attack the 2021 season. And we'll see what kind of Michael Pierce we get if we get, uh, you know, he worked on pass rushing moves. If we get a leaner, kind of different style of Michael Pierce, we'll see if we get, uh, you know, a completely washed, rusty, out of practice Michael Pierce. And right now, I think he's just got to get back into the swing of things when camp opens and see what kind of snap counts he gets among Dalvin Tomlinson and Sheldon Richardson, this kind of strange trio of defensive tackles that we've got going. But for Michael Pierce, somebody who has always been able to take a problem, shift his focus, and make sure that problem never comes up again, 
I'm really curious to see what sort of player he is in 2021. I will see you all tomorrow with Twitter Tuesday. Uh, make sure you get your questions in at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter, at Locked On Vikings on Twitter. You can also email them to Locked On Vikings Podcast at gmail.com or fill out the Google form in the show notes. However, you get me the question, I'll try to get it into my list. I will see you all tomorrow. Make sure you guys also check out the Locked On Today podcast, under 20 minutes, everything going on in the wide world of sports, NBA, NHL playoffs, MLB season, all that stuff. Make sure you go check that out anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, Skull.